0: Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 23. It's not what we do, it's why we do it. I'm Scatty and we have with us Brooke and Matt as always.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: And this week on the Davos Fingers podcast, we'll be covering five chapters of Acock, ACOC, A Clash of Kings, Tyrion 6, Arya 6, Danny 2, Brand 4, and Tyrion 7. That's chapters 25 to 29, according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. And uh, as always, a reminder, we are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast. At the end of the podcast, we'll have a special segment called Davos After Dark. We'll warn you when it's coming, but uh, as, as long as you stay away from that part, uh, we will be spoiler-free if you're keeping up with our reading schedule. Also, if you want to contact us to suggest topics for us uh, or uh, ask us questions or just generally praise or insult us, uh, you can reach out through davosfingers.com. Uh, that's our Tumblr site. Email at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at Davos Fingers, or, of course, you can find us and like us on Facebook, conversate with us there. We recently reached 50,000 listens. Just thought we'd drop a little little celebratory note, uh, circle jerk, uh, for that. Good job, guys. We're actually up to 57,000 now. It's moving quickly. Yeah. And
2: that's thanks to you guys. It sounds yeah, obvious, you. right? You're, the listens come from you, not from us. So thank you for listening. It's well, more it's than we could have ever imagined.
1: That's true. Probably, probably like twenty, thirty thousand. 30,000
2: scad <laughs> just putting it on play over and over again i do do that. refresh play refresh play
0: <laughs> if i only had a filter so that i could only listen to my voice i probably would do that
2: <laughs> uh, maybe we could produce the scad copy
0: <laughs> uh, i actually have it because we do the multi-stream thing anyway i right i'm i'm teasing everyone i'm i am full of myself but not that much uh okay uh, we, we also just want to
2: put it Metallica music in all the silent spots where Luke <laughs> and I talking. It would just be Metallica until you speak. Yeah. So on.
0: Yeah. Who
1: needs porn when you have and Metallica?
0: Oh geez. <laughs> uh, okay. Hopefully those things are mutually exclusive. So we we also wanted to just we haven't done this much before, but uh, we just had a, a bunch of a bunch of great Raven mail um since the last episode. Want to just throw some things out there, some emails and Twitter-patedness and stuff that we received. So uh, we got a great uh, email from, from a fella named Max in Germany telling us that we should be getting paid for this. Max, thank you for the sentiment. Uh, I, th- I think we're too lazy to go make getting paid happen. That's That's how sad we are.
2: We're too content. Just <laughs> yeah. Having fun, like doing what we're doing. It's like, oh, we'd have
0: to work to get paid. Yeah. This doesn't
2: feel like work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, when you turn something into work, it suddenly becomes Yeah, it becomes a whole work. different proposition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh some great stuff from from uh a lady named Venom Sting in the email. Uh she was a little disappointed in our brief discussion on Catelyn, specifically with how uh Catelyn viewed Brienne. In the last chapter that we discussed, offering some constructive criticism and different opinions there, and uh, much appreciated. Uh, some really good points, Maybe rethink a few things in that uh, that whole view. Uh, we had a new listener, Josh, with some great ideas on Benjin and wanting to believe that he's alive, and uh, a few a few things there. Don't want to spoil anything, so I won't go into more there. But uh, some cool stuff. Uh, our friend Chase or not on the Twitter. Uh, had an interesting Rob theory which uh again spoilery but some cool stuff delving down into the depths of of the historical family ties uh in the Stark Stark family and other families in Westeros it's pretty cool.
2: Uh I'm sure that'd come up in the Davos After Dark in a later episode. Yeah it
0: definitely will for sure. And as always we had Heather live tweeting. <laughs> if you guys don't follow us on Twitter, one of our followers Heather does live tweeting as she listens and uh it's a joyous occasion <laughs> it's the best part of her, <laughs> it's the best part of, release of every day. other monday yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's pretty it's pretty great to read through her tweets so uh that's not all we receive obviously just com- conversations all over the place but thanks uh to to those people and, and everyone else obviously you know fifty thousand listens yes but also just the conversations that we get out of this is it's very fun for us right this is why we do it so Keep them coming. That's what's important. So uh, that's that. So I think um, I think I think that's about it for the news and notes section. Matt, your episode, my chapter. You have anything else?
2: Um, no, I do not. I'm just anxiously awaiting your thoughts on Tyrion
0: Six. Well, then play the music.
3: Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah ladies, Tyrion Lannister or if you please.
0: So, Tyrion seeks out Cersei in her chambers and finds her entertained by their cousin Lancel Lannister. Lancel is the son of Kevin, uh, who we met previously. That's uh, Tywin's brother, Kevin Lannister. Lancel is one of his sons. Lancel is emboldened. By his recent knighthood, uh, he and Circe is immediately on guard about, his pres- about Tyrion's presence, refusing to listen if he wants to rebuff her for imprisoning the begging brothers that uh, had the gall to suggest that Jaime had murdered the king. She would imprisoned these guys, and she thinks Tyrion's about to go off on her for it. However, Tyrion insists it's other news that he has, and it's for her ears only. So she sends everyone away, intimating that Tyrion is harmless when alone. Once the room is cleared, Tyrion announces that Stannis has sailed from Dragonstone, which causes a four-alarm freakout from Cersei. Tyrion lets her freak out for a little bit before calming her, admitting that Stannis (laughs) sails against Renly, not King's Landing. They share a laugh and a drink, which Tyrion wastes no time in dosing with something we know not what. Harmless indeed. The next day, with the queen indisposed, probably from said dosing, Tyrion sits the Iron Throne to rule in her place. His first order of business is to inform Cleos Frey that the Stark terms are no good, and to send him back with their own, (laughs) essentially, the mirror opposite of the Stark terms, equally unreasonable, save that they will send Eddard's bones back to Winterfell. He asks Cleos to impart to Rob that he has no friends in the field, that Stannis and Renly are spending their time disputing amongst themselves, and oh, by the way... I also have an alliance with Dorn. He also offers four noble northmen uh, for his cousin as hostage exchanges. However, uh, for the robbed terms requesting his sister's and his father's greatsword Ice, n- no dice, no, no terms to come to there either. Lastly, as if to add insult or maybe something else, we don't know yet, uh, Tyrion sends Lannister men back to escort Cleos. Instead of the Northmen that came down with him. And he doesn't just send a few. He sends all of them. All of the Lannister guardsmen. So the second piece of biz uh, on the docket uh, for Tyrion on the throne is our old friend Alistair Thorne. He of the Night's Watch sent south with a rotting hand to ask for assistance from the crown to defend the wall. Alistair informs that the dead walk and kill. (laughs) Tyrion is almost swayed by Alistair's testimony But his own disquiet conscience uh, of the fears and judgment he will receive, the respect he will lose, he instead sends Alistair back with his pick of the dungeons, more men from the streets, and one hundred spades to assist them in properly burying their dead. You know, to keep them from walking around. As court breaks, Littlefinger stays behind to chide Tyrion for lying to him about Marcella uh, being offered to the Vale. Littlefinger is not happy about being involved in this little trick. Uh, and to Varys, Tyrion unravels the plot of the Lannister Guardsmen. Four of their number will have a secret mission, and they need the rest of the guards to hide them in plain sight. In the final act, uh, we seem to always get three acts in Tyrion's chapters. In this one, he's escorted by Shaga and Timit to pay a visit to Pycelle. Long story short, they get him to confess to being the one that got Ares to open the gates to Ned, and, and Tywin, and that he has always done everything for House Lannister, and that he even made sure that John Arryn died, dismissing Maester Coleman because his purge would have worked. He was not the poisoner, though. He says that was Sir Hugh. Uh, you may remember Sir Hugh. He was uh, the one that was killed in the uh, in the jousting tournament. Uh, so they sent Pysel to prison, but not before sawing off his magnificent Maester beard, and the entire town of Portland cried.
2: And making him pee all over the place.
0: And making him pee all over the place. <laughs> and that is the end of the chapter. So.
1: Oh, yeah, Tyrion is busy. Holy cow.
0: He is very busy. Yeah. Yeah. And well, kind of lots of important stuff going on. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I would go with um, the, first, the first thing I'd talk about is the Picel bit. Throw it in the black cells basically crying and whining all the way down there. Did any of this come as a surprise? Any of these admissions from Pycelle?
1: No. The It was it was though mis- that they tied up the whole Sir Hugh element, like a uh, loose end of Sir Hugh, and what he might have had to do with John Aaron's death. But ultimately, not as big a deal as the fact that Pycelle's obviously quite um, probably corrupt, and also a huge coward, and completely brought down by Tyrion. And more than more than anything, this this really served to to show how ruthless Tyrion is becoming. Like like Pycelle h- held a lot of power; he could have been uh, Tyrion could have taken the same information, knowing that Pycelle was Cersei's little bird. And then held it against Pycel, like he did for... Um, oh, crap! Never mind. That's in the next Tyrion chapter with Lancel. Um, but he he could have used that to then make Pycel into his his own pawn. But instead, he's like, "No, I just gotta I just gotta cut out this diseased limb and stuck him in the black cells."
2: Yeah, that's what surprised me more than Picel's admissions and every everything that he. Uh, up to doing it was um the situation of them just busting down the grand maester's door and finding him naked and naked in bed with a with a girl and like cutting off his beard and stuff like this like this guy's on the small council and you're just busting it on him that uh that surprised me more than the admission it's it definitely shows the ruthlessness of Tyrion, as you said Brooke. yeah he's... getting the
1: job done yeah were you team Picel
0: no i I was um I was a little surprised that he admitted to the poisoning thing to helping make sure the poison worked. I don't know how anyone could have ever proved that, and so as clever as a i think I still think Picel's a clever player in this game, and so I, I was a little surprised he admitted to that. I don't know how they would have ever proved any of that, but no, I'm certainly not team Picel but uh uh he's <laughs> Picel uh Paisel wouldn't last a day on the creek. I mean, he's he's not going to do well in the black cells. He's an old guy. Go ahead, sorry, finish. No, just he's an old guy. I don't think he's going to last very long on there.
2: Yeah, and he's he's used to a certain amount of respect. I mean, he's the Grand Maester, and you don't just wake up one morning being the Grand Maester. So he's used to being afforded a certain amount of respect. And so to what you said, Scad, of him, uh, you know, you're surprised that he owned up to some of those things uh you know he's never had he's probably never had an axe held to his throat or been yeah. treated with any sort of disrespect during his adult life and so for that to happen to him was just i think completely overwhelming whereas someone like ferris or little they're kind of used to happen to be on the defensive a lot and so it'd be different for maybe the two of them
0: yeah perhaps yeah maybe
1: i'm not watching to deal with shaya so that when Tyrion said cut off his manhood she didn't go right for the balls like he knew to grab his beard and take that <laughs> i wonder if Shireen was like okay when i say manhood what do you call off cut off <laughs> they, like,
2: they rehearsed oh. beforehand
1: <laughs> um get me a goat and then Shireen would be like no 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 no. what are you gonna cut off
2: look at your lines Shaga. look at your lines <laughs>
0: Uh, a good play bringing bringing Shaggy and timid for the intimidation factor. You're right, that's probably maybe what turned the tide for getting some of that information out of him. Mm-hmm. We should remember this is all from Pycelle's mouth. It is possible it wasn't Sir Hugh uh, that did right. the deed. Um, it's mm-hmm. what Picel's saying seems 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 to add up a little bit. What about uh, earlier in the chapter, <laughs> the whole bit with Circe and the uh, the little sibling moment that they seem to share right before Tyrion doses her.
2: That was, like, really cute, right? Yeah, it's like they're like having a moment. swinging around the room Aww. and
0: stuff. Yeah. Can you just imagine, can you just picture that in your head? Her picking him up off the bed and, like, twirling him right. around? And his just... eyes are like what? Yeah.
1: No, I, I actually have a hard time imagining it because up until now she's always been like so disgusted by him that she she can barely even look at him, let alone touch him. She's swinging him around. I, I can't. I guess. I guess she really is made for men's pursuits in this world because the idea of them getting the upper hand in this war by having Stannis and really fuck each other got her so excited. That yeah. she probably touched Tyrion for the first time in decades.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's meant to show. I agree. <clears throat> I think I just meant, I, not that I can imagine it from a character perspective easily, but that I can imagine since I've seen the actors, I can actually picture this in my head happening. Yeah. Whimsical moment. Anyway. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I'll take this <clears throat> opportunity to remind everyone, Dinklage, way too good looking for Tyrion.
0: <laughs> so, Mark it not down.
1: what I was imagining. <laughs> mark it down but uh, uh These my top name?
2: five other guys on Game of Thrones for oh, sure, for
1: sure. Uh, Lita wait Lena, Lena
0: Hedy, Hedy? Hedy?
1: oh I say Yeah. she knows? she it makes an excellent Cersei I yep. have to say
0: yeah she does I buy it yep so Tyrion on the throne I just think he'd make such a good king I kind of want him to be king are there are there uh Is there some path where he can become king? Totally. uh, Complete
1: agreement. Though he's getting a little cocky.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything's kind of coming up Tyrion. And... uh, Just gotta be careful, right? Don't take that for granted. As we've learned.
0: Yeah, I think... I think when you're in those kinds of positions, you have to be kind of cocky. I mean, there's a line, but... uh, I don't know. Were you
2: disappointed or empathetic to the way that he dealt with uh, Alistair in front of everybody?
0: Well, I wanted to read the passage where he's almost swayed because I I feel like this, this is clearly something that he's botched, right? We as the reader know what the threat really is, and he's botched this, right? He's allowed his fear of everyone... Being reminded that he's just a dwarf, right? That that this is somehow going to lead to disrespect if if he falls for this trap, he lets that fear of judgment get the better of his his gut and his feelings. And we've talked before on this cast about how I feel about your gut. I mean, your your gut can kind of tell you things that nothing else can. And I this this bit, uh, I'll read it here tells me that Tyrion's gut is being overpowered here by fear. Mm -hmm. Tyrion remembered a cold night under the stars when he'd stood beside the boy Jon Snow and a great white wolf atop the wall at the end of the world, gazing out at the trackless dark beyond. He had felt, what? Something, to be sure. A dread that had cut like that frigid northern wind. A wolf had howled off in the night, and the sound had sent a shiver through him. And then he goes on to talk himself out of it because he's afraid okay. of what everyone's going to say. But you know, yeah, he he's clearly missed the mark on this one.
2: That's something that George R. R. Martin does so incredibly well. He uses all these politics and stuff to completely distract us as the readers from the real problem. Not only is Tyrion distracted, but we are distracted as well. Yeah. Like, can you honestly admit that your first time reading through this, like? During all of these Tyrion chapters, not just this one, but the Cersei stuff, everything that you were thinking about the others the whole time. I know I wasn't like you completely forget about them. And it's interesting that Tyrion does that uh, or he allows the um, the more immediate political stuff to get in the way. But it also happens to us readers as well throughout this.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the fact that we're on Tyrion seven, right? Seven. Mm -hmm. We've had two chapters. Of Danny, two or three of John. I mean, it's it's very King's Landing focused at this point, right? Yeah, and, you get
2: this whole series started with the others. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, but it just kind it's, of like you're you're disappointed because you get the impression in that Tyrion chapter when he's back on the wall, you get the impression that he really is changed by this, right? At least I did, and you know he's helping, he's giving him some spades. He's giving them some men, but he's not giving them the help they really need. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, note to Cersei real quick. Jailing people just for preaching on the streets is not going to make the problem go away. (laughs) It's only going to make it
0: worse. Yeah.
2: PR. Matt's wearing his PR hat again. It's not going
0: to help. Yeah. Those
1: are the guys who uh, made fun of Tyrion, too. Right. Tyrion just kind of sat back and listened. and, and I don't think he... Took it to heart or anything, but he definitely didn't dismiss the general attitude and uh, I don't know emotional balance of of the people of King's Landing.
2: Yeah, well, the minute that you that you take a drastic action like that against a, a group of people like that is the minute that you're lending them credence or you're giving them some sort of validity. You're saying that they're important enough that you're going to throw them in the black cells. It's, a, shut them
0: it's the same thing we said uh, when you took your PR stand a few chapters ago uh, regarding the quote-unquote lie about the children being bastards, right?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Give it credence.
2: In, in this case, it's actually – it'll probably strengthen them. You know, That time in jail could probably harden them even more or give them even more resolve. I just thought of this. I was watching the film Selma on the way to Calgary two weeks ago and uh, about the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King Jr. and everything. And it was interesting to see some of their tactics, Martin Luther King and his associates, that in many cases they went into a situation, you know, knowing that they would be imprisoned and almost kind of uh, banking on it in some sense because of the increased uh, visuality that it would give their cause and everything. And, um, you know, it's not going to, end the problem by just throwing people in jail for saying something
0: yeah
1: True. Though I, I will say the likelihood of them getting out and then having an even stronger voice is small because they're probably going to be sent to the wall
2: sure oh, yeah once you're in the black <laughs> cells you're probably not going to get out anytime soon good point yeah. but Oof. there will always be someone there to pick up the banner right and carry on
1: yeah very true.
2: And and put those people up as martyrs or whatever.
0: That's funny. we I didn't even pick up on this until just now, Brooke, with what you said. In the middle of this chapter, Tyrion gave Thorn the rights to get the guys out of the Black Cells. At the end of this chapter, he sent Picel to the Black Cells. <laughs> Stroke hmm. of luck that Picel didn't end up at the, at the wall. There you go.
1: Yeah, who'd want him?
0: Oh, I don't know. He's maybe five years younger than Aemon. Maybe they could uh, use a five-year replacement.
2: <laughs> you never know.
0: Uh, one thing uh, that struck me uh, was, as I don't know why, but it hit me when Cersei's ranting and raving about about Stannis invading, and we gotta call everyone. We gotta make sure everyone's ready. Just, get, what are you doing? Why are you laughing? she's freaking out, right? It reminded me of that scene in Spaceballs when the ship's about to explode and the guy gets on the mic and he's like close down the three ring circus, evacuate the zoo fire all escape pods
3: (laughs) you've got to stop it is there any way to stop it? I can't, it's irreversible like my raincoat attention, this is Colonel Sanders in forward command abandon ship, abandon ship all personnel proceed to escape pods close down the circus evacuate the zoo sound of this mechanism has been activated
1: we haven't it.
2: used the Spaceballs reference yet in this podcast. Yeah, oh, I remember
0: some
1: Spaceballs, but I don't remember memorizing all the lines. Hey. You nerd.
0: <laughs> I didn't memorize all of them. <laughs> but Colonel Sanders has some gems now and then.
3: <laughs> all
2: right. Well, I know we wanted to, uh, we'll probably get to Lancel in the next Tyrion chapter. But for now, is there anything else you guys want to cover before we move on to Arya?
0: Nope, teaser. I have a, a land cell-based potential word of the day. Okay. Excellent.
2: Well, Brooke, do you wanna take us through Arya's chapter?
3: ARIA! Horse face! Underfoot! Stick 'em with the pointy end, Arya, underfoot, horse face, stick em with the pointy end.
1: Okay, so Arya and the remains of the Black Brother recruits have been captured by Gregor Clegane's merry band and are being kept with other prisoners in a village storehouse beside the God's Eye Lake. So Beric Dondarrion and his band of knights have been through the village previously, and Gregor spends eight days torturing the captives for information. The chapter is almost comically brutal. Like that Gregor's men feel no remorse over murdering children and gang gang raping women and watching the tickler torture people for hours at a time means that a grotesque sort of normalcy has set in. And this way of living is just what is accepted now. So you do have to wonder how many of Gregor's men are just doing as they are ordered to stay alive and maybe protect their own families. And this is a conflict that Arya feels as she can do nothing to help or protect the other captives. And she feels a lot of anger and frustration. She asks herself, what good does it do to be brave? And then turns on the self-loathing hose by remembering Serial Pharrell and how much she would have disappointed him. But mostly she just stews in anger and the fruitless thoughts of vengeance to the point where she makes a list of people, primarily Lannisters, a nightly prayer, a list of people who she wants to kill. So what kind of 10-year-old needs to self-soothe with a hit list? Arya Stark. Anyways, after mining out all the locations of, you know, coin and silver and other treasure from the villagers and mining out nothing concrete on the whereabouts of Beric Dondarian, Gregor marches the captives to Harrenhal to serve Tywin Lannister. So basically the serfdom business has come to Westeros and I imagine that business is good on the way. Arya can't sneak into the woods to make water or pee. So she's outed as a girl when she has to squat roadside uh, Hot Pie is shocked and Gendry already knew, but no one else really cares. It's it's a grim situation and little things like physical gender are not are not sweated. So we get a child's eye description of Heron Hall, which I find excellent, because it's like a super creepy original type of castle. And everyone listening actually read the description too, so I won't get into it here, but old Nan said that human blood was added to the bricks mortar so uh its structural integrity is probably also in question it's like riding a traveling carnival roller coaster (laughs) half the fun is risking death by stepping on the
2: thing knowing if you'll get off it at the end walk (laughs) off it i should say
1: exactly so once at harren hall Arya is this close to landing a sweet gig in the kitchens, but her inability to contain her moxie gets her assigned to a guy named Weez, who is an understeward in one of the towers. And uh, he is a handsome by Restorosi standards kind of guy who proclaims to his new staff members that defiance will be sniffed out and snuffed out, and all he wants to smell is beer. And that's where we get left off.
0: So, Too late yeah. to add that dickhead to the list? <sighs> yeah.
1: yeah, right, eh? uh, I mean, if therapy... you make one of those
0: lists, why keep it short? <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: I know, right? If you're already swinging your sword around, taking out half the people around you, just keep on adding people. But yeah, um, super intense. I mean... It gets really, really gruesome. Like a three-year-old. It was a tough chapter to
2: read. It was a tough chapter to read. Yeah,
1: hit in the face with a spiked mace because it was crying too much. Like, at, at what point do you lose your humanity to that degree, where you can just mace a child in the face because it's being too loud? Like these guys have just have have completely left all reason behind and. Gregor is the one who's leading them. I find it interesting that we never really like we actually hear him say dialogue in this chapter, but it's nothing particularly menacing,
0: menacing yeah.
1: Or, or or gruesome in itself. it's like oh, he he just uses his physicality, his hugeness as his communication tool, as his his way of threatening and controlling people because from the sounds of it, he's not like a real charismatic guy. Like other characters with power we've seen in this series.
0: Yeah. People he are just... not following for his rousing speeches.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's not inspiring his horde of awful men. Like they're just following him because he gets what he wants when he wants it. Um, as evidenced, by his treatment um, to his brother. And uh, everybody else just wants to capitalize off of that. Right. And it's almost like they've adopted his methods of of extreme brutality to get what they want to. So I can't, I cannot give in to the fact that, um, I don't think we ever get a, a number of how many guys are with them, but I'm, I'm guessing around probably 50. It's got to be about 50 guys, right?
0: I imagined it was more, but not a ton more. I yeah. thought maybe around 100 but yeah, for yeah. all
1: of them to either participate or to wash and do nothing like I, I i don't actually remember the point i was trying to make but it, it is it
0: well is ghastly i'll try uh, to suppose part of the point you're trying to make culture is like getting into the business side of things again like like culture of a company is incredibly difficult to steer generally right? Like, it kind of takes on a life of its own unless you're really proactive and get out ahead of it. And I think that's happened here. They have a leader who has no desire to get out ahead of any sort of message. He just is, he is the hammer that hits the anvil. He doesn't, he's not thinking a whole lot. He's not, he doesn't care about the politics. He's just a hammer. And he's brutal about it. And he has no desire to kind of quell any sort of culture for the whole troops to go that way they see his behavior they emulate it and there's nothing stopping them and the culture's just kind of morphed into this and that's what this group does
2: i agree and what's interesting about gregor is we don't at least we don't see or hear of him doing a lot of the torturing he sits back and allows others to do it he picks out the people right and then he just kind of said he just kind of stood there and watched and that's almost creepier than him yes. actually doing the torturing. That's
0: also gruesome. But,
2: uh, yeah, and,
1: so he is a successful leader in that he's putting the right people in place.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you want to look at this in a really morbid <laughs> way, he's actually a pretty good leader in that he's allowing others to use their strengths and stuff like that. I could get into all sorts of weird stuff, but I don't feel right doing that. Uh, another thing that was interesting about this is and and credit this to George's abilities is we never actually witness and correct me if I'm wrong. We don't witness very much of the actual torture. Like George doesn't describe yeah. the methods that the tickler used yeah. or it go into any great detail. Yet we still are horrified because of the effect that it has on Aria and the people that are with her. They are completely beaten down into submission. Even Arya is this, you know, this pillar of strength throughout this book so far is completely beaten down, um, you know, to the point that she's saying, what good does it do you to be brave? And and him relaying those emotions that the people are feeling is just as effective as if he'd been describing the torture tools and methods that the tickler was actually using.
0: There's a great line in uh, Lord of the Rings from uh, from King of Rohan. He says, what can men do against such hate? So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? And that's it. Like, it doesn't take a Mensa member to figure out these people that are torturing don't know shit, right? They're literally torturing them just to break everyone watching.
2: Right. there is they, they don't care about the answers to the tickler's questions. He is not interested in getting actual answers out of them.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, think. it's it's hard to propose any sort of motivation for this activity other than instilling terror. Right. And what can men do against such hate? I, I, it's, uh, they crumble. All of them it's, do. Even Arya, like you said, a, a source of strength in this book. Mm. What can you do?
2: Yeah. Well, there's no consequences for their actions. For the actions of Gregor and his men. And I think that's what also helps breed it. There's no one that they have to answer to.
0: And uh, I love, I I love, uh, I had in my notes here, Brooke, (laughs) to to quote the Jason Lee uh, classic case, Self-Loather from Mallrats. uh, But you did it in your summary already. Uh, Yeah, Arya's become a total self-loather because she can't do anything about it. But, I mean, every single reader is like, she's being way too hard on herself. But she just hates herself right now. and
1: Yeah. At least she's being constructive about it, though.
0: Is it constructive? Yeah. Is the prayer prayer constructive? I think
2: so. It's keeping her alive, right? It's It's kind of keeping her her going. She's,
1: She's not losing hope. Even if her hope is that she will someday live to kill these people, at least she's hanging on, right?
0: I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a thin thread of hanging on. It's I, something. Though. I love Arya, but, but basically committing yourself to a future of murder. I think a lot of people would, would call that not really hanging on.
2: Well, she's completely <laughs> beaten down though. Like we're saying, like I, I almost take her having to pee in front of everybody is kind of symbolic of yeah. how exposed she is now. Yeah. Like, Everything that she normally uses to her advantage has been taken away.
3: Mm. And
2: she's completely exposed at this point, and there's nothing she can do. It's, uh, yeah. that's maybe all she has, man.
1: Great point. And, and just to go back quickly, as we were discussing the fact that Gregor doesn't participate in the actual torture of everybody, I would actually just from us talking about it, argue that he, it's all psychological torture. Maybe we're not giving sure. him enough credit, yeah. but because of the, the way he picks out the victims, um, one example is oh, a mother volunteered to save her child. And then he like killed her child too, just to make sure that she had told him everything. Um, people not I, meeting his eyes, to uh, not be noticed, but him not yeah. giving anybody mercy. Like I, I there that, seems to be that seems to be really formulaic to instilling the most fear and, and most dread possible, in, in in all those victims. But
0: but that kind of warfare, that psychological warfare, is usually reserved to achieve something. I don't know that he's really trying to get anything out of this.
1: Well, no, I I think they they were it was pretty clear that they were trying to get whatever resources the villagers had been hoarding. You know, yeah, but hiding as, as, soon as they heard that people are coming through. Yeah, but they, they need everything that they can get. That the the you know Westeros is being stripped, and winter is coming. So they say winter is coming. <laughs> I even mean to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also the whole um, tracking uh, tracking uh, Beric Dondarrion in their nights. Like, um, I think. He, one, mm. his job to find those guys and to stop them from killing Lannisters, and two, he probably has some sort of—he's probably developed a vendetta against him at this point.
0: Yeah, but they don't know anything about that. It's I, I, made I'm pretty clear. clear. I would
2: think that after like the first five to seven villagers <laughs> that really just didn't know anything, like it would be pretty clear that they don't—that they yeah, don't know okay. where he is, and and that's where so, I'm yeah. saying that like. I don't he think started, they're, at, by this point, they're not that interested in getting answers from these people. They're interested yeah. in just okay. breaking That's it. That's also so He
1: started with motive, then he started liking it, and then he's like, oh, it's been eight days, we should probably get going. Well, it's
0: been eight days from Arya's perspective. Who knows how long it had been going on before she got there.
2: How many villages, and how many villages Gregor's done before. that before?
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knows? I, it's all speculation. It's just, I, to, I, I'm not saying he's not smart, which is your original premise. Uh, you know that he's not going about this in incredible, in a in a creative and intelligent way to in- inflict the most fear. I think right. he's doing a great job of that. I just don't know to what end. He ends up taking these people with them to like serve them. Doesn't seem like a good idea to have. <laughs> like, I don't know. I I don't know. It's an yeah, interesting yeah. motive. We
2: should I'll, probably get going on here pretty quick. But I think that overall, this highlights the overall. Uh, idea of the plight of the small folk and their role in this whole war and any war that comes about is that they really have nothing going for them right if you're a peasant or the small folk as they're called in the Song of Ice and fire series you're just stuck in the middle and whatever happens to you just happens to you and uh that's that's tough like i know that the small folk have certain rights uh but you've got to think that the bounds of legality are being stretched awfully thin here when they're just taking small folk from their homes and making them go to another place heron hall to be servants like yeah that's they, gotta they, be
0: they have rights only so far as the rich people like to give them to them
2: give them rights yeah. yeah like there there aren't any heroes for the small folk and they mention that in the chapter stark lannister it's all the same they're not
0: end Interestingly, there was the one dude that was clamoring for for the the Targaryens to come back.
2: Which is ironic, I thought, because when Ares was king, he was talking about this would never happen with Ares. Who was running the show towards the end of Ares's reign? Tywin, yeah. Tywin Lannister, who is Gregor
0: Clegane's boss now. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting that there are apparently some people ironic. in Danny's corner that that isn't just some myth of this Ares dream. The people some people do do actually feel that. Right um also i know you want to move on just one one little fun note when i heard about the heron hall thing and the, they're like well it looks close enough we'll probably be there by the end of the day or, or in a couple hours and they walk for the rest of the day and then most of the next day and they finally get to the edge of it and it reminded me of vegas it looks close but don't try to walk to it
2: oh yeah you're just gonna walk to that casino I'm down i'm just gonna walk to
0: that casino it looks really a really close it's not close. Two hours later, <laughs> your feet will bleed.
2: Don't do and a it. and a handful of uh pornography pamphlets in your hand later.
0: Yeah, if you're lucky.
3: <laughs>
2: All right. Well, should we move on to Danny?
3: Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go, kicking it with the dragon kids and with the And does she know just where she gotta go and won't be tarrying? Look out, Westeros! Rose comes the nearest Targaryen.
2: So we're only into Danny's second chapter of this whole book so far, uh, but if and if we recall from that last Danny chapter, she and her meager Kalizar were encamped within the walls of the abandoned city of uh, Vestoloro, and Jogo, her blood rider, had just returned from his scouting of the surrounding lands, and with him were three envoys from the city of Carth, uh, who came to see her dragons. Danny took them up on their invitation to return with them to Carth. So, arriving at this great, beautiful city, which is surrounded by three thick walls, and the whole city is adorned with beautiful colors and finery, and even the people are beautiful, Danny can see why her late husband had often dreamed of sacking this city. And it's, it's enough to make her feel awfully uncomfortable, uh, out of place. I think the word that she uses to describe herself is savage. They must think her is rather savage. Um, traveling through the city, she kind of becomes the object of a tug-of-war between two of the envoys, Piet Pri, the mysterious warlock, and Zaro Zoondaxos, the merchant prince, both claiming that whatever she wants, even as far as the city itself, it can be hers. And Danny affirms that all she really wants is King's Landing, and you know ships to take her there. So she arrives at the palace of Zaro, which he's graciously offered to her while she is in the city, and which, as Danny thinks, makes Magister Illyrio's mansion Pentos look like a swineherd's hovel. Which kind of reminds me of some of the places I lived in college too. Uh, and of his generosity, <laughs> the slick-tongued Zaro says, "For the mother of dragons, no gift is too great." Please. Uh so Danny sends her blood riders into the city to learn more about it and she also sends Jora down to the docks to uh, learn what the scuttlebutt is. She then begins to relax, something she's not seemed to have done in a long while. Even and this was really weird to me, taking this bath in this bathtub that has little fish in it that like were coming up and nibbling on her, that would not be comfortable and relaxing to me, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, she wonders if King's Landing will be as lovely as Carth is, and reflects how you know she wants her reign to be you know one of happiness and laughter and all things wonderful and Candyland and all of that. Uh, we, the reader, of course, knowing the conditions of Westeros and King's Landing at this point, uh, we can't help but wonder at how disappointed she might be uh, if she were to arrive in Westeros today, especially King's Landing. So before long, Jorah returns with a buddy in tow. A trader uh, named Kuhuru—that's I'm going to say it mo. He's a trader from the trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, not traitor. Trader from the Summer Isles who had just been making the rounds in Westeros, and he comes bearing news that Robert Baratheon, Robert Baratheon, Bartherian, Barcarian, Barstarian, is dead. He's a gonzo. He's done for. Uh, Danny has a moment of like Cersei-like glee uh, upon finding this out, and it invigorates and encourages her. And despite Jorah's continued cries for caution, she is even more motivated to take her seat on the Iron Throne. And that's where the chapter ends. One thing I wanted to discuss here, and it goes back to the previous Tyrion chapter as well, is the idea of Power not always seeming to be inherent, like danny it's it's weird to me to see Danny getting all of this uh showers of praise and everything she's put up in this huge mansion and everything just because of her dragons uh, and I wonder you know if she didn't have dragons, what would her position be like, and the same thing with Tyrion, you know if he didn't have shaga and brawn and stuff, what would? What kind of power would he still wield? So kind of an overarching discussion of how power isn't always inherent. It needs to have some sort of uh, physical, I don't know, manifestation behind it. And it seems that way with with Danny as well. Did any of you think how weird it was that Danny was getting well, all of this praise and everything for 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 these dragons?
0: Yeah, you, you totally had me on the first half. So I have almost the same note. Um, I don't get why all these people worship her. Like, we we talk all the time, we've had multiple discussions on this cast, about how this world, Planetos, is basically a take-what-you-want world. You want the throne? You have the power? Take it. It seems very convenient to me that Danny's path doesn't seem to follow those rules. There are tons of people in this city that could just take these dragons from her there's nothing stopping them i mean very very little stopping them anyway and i don't know i don't know why her arc doesn't follow the rules that everything else does but the comparison to tyrion i think tyrion has the the, the very reason that he's powerful is evident it's his family and his money sure that brings the power and that's a link that danny doesn't have danny doesn't have any of that stuff
2: but like would I... would would tyrion be able to Would he have done what he did to Picel if he didn't have someone like Shaga and and Timit?
0: Well, he only, well, no, but I think he has those people for a good reason because he's got money and power.
2: I agree. What were you going to say, bro?
1: I think what's missing here is that we haven't been given enough information about how powerful dragons are to justify this. Instantaneous worship of them wherever she goes. Because, well, personally, I get it. I'd be just like that trader. I'd be like, um, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Let me bring you whatever information you need. My only payment is, can I pet your dragon? I'd be like, I just, I just want to pet his wing, just a little a little pet. <laughs> and that would that would be the moment of a lifetime for me. But beyond that, for people who are not just enamored with cool creatures for the people who really understand the true power that someone who has the blood to control a dragon uh, owns, they're understanding just what Danny is going to be capable of once the dragons get to full grown size and Mm -hmm. so what we're missing is what exactly that means Mm -hmm. and so we're kind of left in the dark as to why this is such a big deal,
0: the readers, miss- yeah, they're all
1: dead now. So something killed
0: them. Yeah, the, the read- first time reader do- is left in the dark. The reader's missing <laughs> out on that. If you've read any of World of Ice and Fire, some of that stuff. I don't know whether this is spoiler stuff or not. Easy cut location here, Matt. If we decide it is, but it basically takes a certain type of person that can even ride a dragon. Not everyone can, right? And so if if the whole world knows that then it makes sense they wouldn't just try to kill her and take her dragons. But my guess is there are plenty of people in Karth that should be perfectly willing to just kill her, take the dragons, and pet them all the time they want. Exactly. Like
2: she's.
1: I think it's well known, and it's not a spoiler, that you have to be a Targaryen to control a dragon. That's why they came into power in the first place.
2: Not necessarily Targaryen, but uh, the blood of old Valyria and stuff like that.
1: Yes. Right, and she did say Valerian. that a lot of people had the look of Valyrians. Yeah?
2: Well, they're white, I guess. But I, I don't know.
1: Coming into the, into the city, she compared them to what the Dothraki looked
0: like. Yes. It's, it seems they're to me in, in the world that we know as of now, there's enough misinformation about dragons and there would be enough people just trying to seize them and take a chance. And they wouldn't be worshipping her. They'd be taking them. If we disagree, that's cool, but... I just I it seems like the this world of violence where everyone's just out for themselves to take whatever they can. That line seems to stop at Danny and you say there's a good reason for it. I you know that everyone understands that she's probably the only one that can even control these things. I don't know. Seems like somebody would try to me.
3: Yeah, I don't know. It is interesting.
0: That was that was the main thing I came away from this chapter about. It's just like here's this rich city. Why is everyone Fawning all over she's her. She's
2: an instant superstar. Yeah, I liked uh, that. Danny's thinking about how she wants her rule to be. Um, she's she's not just thinking about conquering King's Landing or Westeros, but she's considering how she wants her reign to be. And I think that that's uh, in a little bit of stark contrast to some of the other pretenders for the throne that we've seen, who are just thinking about winning the throne but not actually thinking about ruling. Um, and and maybe she's a little naive in her thinking about how she wants it to be all beauty and wonderful and everything, but it is, uh, I don't know, it was encouraging to me to see her actually thinking about it at least.
0: Yeah, I agree. Karth uh, itself is kind of interesting. When I first read it, the defenses reminded me a little bit of Minas Tirith, uh, except way dumbed down. Minas is <laughs> way more mega, but like... She says that Jora or uh, um, Drogo dreams of sacking it. Good luck, man. it right. seems pretty tough.
2: Three walls. We didn't talk about the descriptions on the wall of of what the walls uh, contained on them, the yeah, engravings and the stuff. Engravings.
1: <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> reminded me of like of
0: the and sex. And...
1: Yeah, mm. the old Hindu uh, carvings. Mm. Mm. They're all just doing it.
0: Yeah, it's also once you get inside, it's Mardi Karth, right? It's uh Barbie <laughs> No, no beads required. It's a uh, left, boobs boob- left everywhere. boobs everywhere. Yeah,
2: yeah, just singles,
0: just singles. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I have too much more to discuss about this.
0: I have one more thing. Yeah. Triple B being dead, Jora notes that it doesn't really change anything. She says it changes everything. Uh, what do you guys think?
1: Oh, she had a very astute observation. She was like, Yeah, um, he's dead now. Everyone's gonna be squabbling, and she has no idea what's going on in the Seven if Kingdoms. Everyone's
0: that's exactly squabbling. what's happening. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that that gives her a lot of credibility in my eyes. Yeah. Like I forget how old she is and how little experience she has, but even her little speech to um Jorah about how you know, she may be young in years, but she's ancient and experienced. I was like, all right, little preteen sit down. But that (laughs) is a smart observation that everyone's going to be infighting. Now
0: she does have a a funny observation earlier before she learns that triple B is dead. She says how she's talking about, about if Drogo had been alive and like getting across the sea and, and actually defeating triple B and, uh, and says, how would I defeat this man who was described as such a fierce warrior? Meanwhile, we, the reader, knows that he's this, A, <laughs> that he's dead, but B, that he's, you know, this a drunk, drunk overweight, can't even, you know, lift a Warhammer anymore. And then she actually says, and his loyal bannermen, <laughs> uh, Ned Stark and the Lannisters, <laughs> like, right. little knowing that they're like at each other's throats completely at the moment. But you're right, mm-hmm. she comes back at the end and she's like, oh, it's probably chaotic over there. She doesn't know how, but she's right. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I appreciate that about her the the line that I had in my head as I was reading this was Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park where they're talking about um they're they're eating lunch with with all of them together before everything you know hits the fan and uh Malcolm's talking kind of leading the charge against the whole creating dinosaurs idea yeah and um and he says a line, he says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to
3: think if they should. Yeah, Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah,
1: yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should.
2: And I like that Danny's thinking about if she should or not. It seems that way anyways. And I think that a lot of these guys who are wanting the throne are maybe just, they want to take the throne because they can and aren't thinking about whether or not they actually should
0: yeah minor spoiler but stannis has got some really interesting stuff about that coming up
2: he does yes this whole idea could come back yeah should we talk some brand
0: Five, six, seven, eight.
3: brandon stark won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from Legs don't work, but they don't really need to work on that third eye Showing you new ways, unexplored, and the summer's gonna come Know it's gonna come, summer's gonna come
1: So while Rickon is buddy-buddy with the Walders, Bran has found a strong connection with Mira and Jojen Reed, and the three have been inseparable since the Reed's arrival in Winterfell. Though the friendship might be a little one-sided, since we learn that the Reeds were sent by their father to advise Bran after Jojen had a vision of a winged wolf bound to the earth by stone chains, a three-eyed crow chipping away at the chains with his beak apparently Jojen is a little psychic or a green seer and his visions always come true and Bran is the winged wolf in this vision. So Jojen is one of those enviable but infuriating easygoing people who don't get upset when you do and act uh, like it. When you do get upset and act like it never occurs to them to be defensive. So he calmly needles Bran until Bran admits that he has seen the three-eyed crow in his own dreams and that Bran can become Summer in those dreams. Uh, Jojen knows that Bran dreams of falling as well and that he wakes screaming every night from it and Bran doesn't want to talk about it at all and kind of reaches a breaking point. Uh, this needling is happening while the kids are out wrestling with Summer in the, the Godswood. would. Uh, but the more Jojen presses Bran to talk about his dreams, the more agitated Bran becomes and the more aggressive Summer gets. Jojen isn't worried, tells them that today is not his day to die, like he knows when that day will be or something. But Mira still takes the precaution to hustle Jojen up a tree when Shaggy Dog shows up growling and snapping too. So Jojen, still totally chill, tells Bran that it's his anger and his fear, Bran's anger and Bran's fear, that is driving the wolves. But Bran denies it. According to Jojen, Bran is part of Summer, and Summer is part of Bran. But the wolves still advance until Mira jumps up into the tree too. Bran eventually calls Hodor to chase the wolves off, and Jojen ominously tells Bran that they will speak again. Um, Bran goes straight to Maester Lewin to, to find out if uh, Green sears really exist, and if Jojen is full of shit or what. So Luwin admits that the children in the forest were said to have the green sight and used the faces in weirwood trees to communicate, but they were wiped out by the first men. Lewin earned his chain link in the art of the higher mysteries, or magic, and he, with all of his knowledge and experience, assures Bran that Jojen does not have the power of prophecy. And this doesn't comfort Bran for long, but rather causes him grief because if Jojen's dreams came true and some of Bran's dreams have come true. Then the dreams where the three-eyed crow tells Bran it can show him how to fly might come true as well. Bran then apologizes to Mira for the whole wolf attack thing, and she's super cool with it. And she ends up telling him another one of Jojen's green dreams. And I'm just going to read it because it's It doesn't make sense to describe it. Hold on. So here's how the dream went. You were sitting at supper, but instead of a servant, Maester Luwin brought you your food. He served you the king's cut off the roast, the meat rare and bloody, but with a savory smell that made everyone's mouth water. The meat he served the phrase was old and gray and dead. Yet they liked their supper better than you liked yours. And Bran doesn't understand what she's talking about, uh, once once brand figures it out, Jojen will speak with him again about his dreams, and uh, that's where the chapter ends. nice little little confusing chapter where everyone's oh in gosh. each other's heads except yeah. <laughs> except for Mira, who's just like trying to keep everyone uh getting along together and she's like brother from by summer
0: she's like, "Yo, check out my net.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's a cool girl she's a, and Bran even says that she reminds him of Arya.
3: Yeah. So cool.
1: So cool. Yeah, I found uh, there's lots of things to talk about, but one little piece I, I didn't go into great deal uh, into uh, great detail with was the fact that Hodor was able to chase off two dire wolves. So Bran seems very confident that they will not hurt Hodor, but I feel like two wolves, even if if Hodor is seven feet tall could easily take him out. Like, even one wolf could take him out. So it really speaks to how much Bran was probably controlling the wolves, that they didn't hurt
0: him at all. Yeah, yeah.
2: Or it's... how special I didn't even consider that. That's a good thought, good point.
0: I think it's like, yeah. uh, the wolves know hoders, no threat, partially. And when he just starts hodering around, they're like, what? Oh, this is weird. Leave me alone. Okay, fine. I'll just go back to the woods. But yeah, Hodder but and... if they but if, if Bran were votering around. Uh if Bran were angry at voter though, like you're talking about, then they wouldn't be confused. They'd have something to direct their anger at. Right? So yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with you.
2: Yep. So say we all.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, I will note that the mighty direwolves you're talking about were bested by a girl with a net. <laughs> like uh still got some learning to do. Well, sometimes I think we give the direwolves too much credit. They are still just wolves, and they can be beaten. Um, And fairly adolescent still, right? And fairly adolescent. And, you know, Mira is no slouch. I I don't mean to belittle her abilities, Um, you know, but she just catches them in a net.
1: So another cool thing we learn about is that uh, the reeds hold, uh, hold fast. The Greywater Watch... Yeah, uh, Bran wants to visit it someday, um, it and ask if if he can if he can send a raven there to ask their father or something. Anyways, and she's like, "Oh no, ravens can't find it." And he's like, "Why?" And she's like, "Cause it moves." And then George does not elaborate.
0: Yes, God come God damn on, it. No,
1: what do you mean? Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: So it might be like like a like the floating garbage island.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or is it but... just like that it's not even really a castle but they're kind of nomadic you know like they yeah they, they pick up shop and the move is just while. a
0: chair they carry around
1: yeah are they protected by magic like who knows mm-hmm. it
2: reminded me of uh sorry scad I feel like I'm infringing a little bit on professor scad here by doing this don't do, but, don't, um, do
0: it. don't don't feel like you're infringing
2: okay I thought you were saying don't share what I'm about to share it's Like, <laughs> alright I'll shut up <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I thought of uh King Arthur and Avalon. Remember Avalon? It's this it's a castle that no one can really find. It's always moving around and only the well not uh, people can find it but they have to be pure in heart. It's like where Excalibur was forged and stuff. Um yes. Germ's really into that stuff. Maybe he uh maybe he took some
0: Is that the is that the one there. in uh in Monty Python search for Holy Grail where he's delusional and ends up the castle with all of the, uh, all the slutty, uh, nurses. You know, I don't know. Cause like he can't find it. Right. But he is, he is the pure of heart one. Galahad. That,
2: that is your homework. Skad is to go and watch the show and see if that is, uh, but that, that would make sense because it's Galahad. pure of heart.
0: That are the finger fans homework. They can, they can go look if, if they want to.
2: Someone let us know, please
1: put it on the website. <laughs> I'll look it up. I'm not going to make anyone look that up. <laughs> Come on! Uh, There's
2: got to be someone out there that listens to us that doesn't even have to look that up. They Matt's,
0: Matt's one, one of those to find a soundbite from that scene. No problem. Yeah. No problem.
3: She must pay the penalty.
0: And here in Castle Anthrax, we have but one punishment for setting light the grail-shaped beacon. You must tie her down on a bed and spank her. <laughs> must spank her well and after you have spanked her you may deal with her as you like and then spank me and spank me and me and me yes yes you must give us all of good spanking. and now the oral sex and now and for now the oral sex <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, funny that we both thought of the exact <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> same one of all the lines in that whole bit
0: oh slutty nurses anyway for the win yeah
1: just back to Greywater Watch for a second, if you
0: guys are <laughs> uh, Wait, this isn't the Monty Python podcast?
1: Put it on the list of
0: podcasts <laughs> we want to start.
1: Uh, speaking of Greywater Watch, um, I find it interesting that Howlin' Reed, Jojen and Mira's father, as soon as he heard that Jojen had had this vision of yeah. Bran, he's like, oh, well, you guys should go take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. two only shall see you later.
0: Yeah, it's a uh joking aside, it, it says something about um at least about him, potentially about the people of the neck in general, that they have some sort of very spiritual quality about them, that they believe in visions, they they believe in signs, they believe in um these kinds of things. The, yeah, that made the us trust like, that so he has crazy. in Jojen.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Send off his son to do.
1: I also wonder if that whole area in the neck isn't so secretive because uh, they're in trouble or something. But um, yeah, really like to know more. Yeah, perhaps a little
0: well, more yes. fascinating. How about all that Lewin stuff? So uh, I come back to it again because Lewin just he just pisses me off. So he he actually proves Brand's point about the dream. And still can't see it that he's wrong, right? How's well, he, he's talking about—I uh, should find it and read it. But he's talking about how you know Jojen has dreams that come true. Okay, well, fine. You know, even even you and Rickon sometimes have dreams that come true. It's like yes, that's the whole point. These we we have dreams that come true. Look at us—we're special. This isn't some weird thing where you can just write it off this means yeah. something, and we found another person that can do it too. And instead of making a connection, you're saying, oh yeah, he probably had it happen to him once too, just like you had it happen to you once. It's just useless. It's just yeah, random. He's fallen,
2: he's fallen back on the logic of, <laughs> it happened to you once, but how many thousands of times did it and you, you dream and nothing come true? Right. It's,
0: yeah, it's, uh...
2: But he it, falls...
0: Lewin in this whole discussion falls back on something that is like someone involved in science like has to just be like tearing their hair out because he dismisses ideas. He's, he dismisses ideas of brands, magic, the idea of magic and warlocks and these, all of these types of things being possible. He dismisses them without any evidence to the contrary. And it's not that they can, it's, it's not that brand. So the burden of proof is a little shaky here, right? But it's not that brand has proof that, that it is happening necessarily, but Lewin also doesn't have proof that it isn't. And he just, he's entirely, for a man of science, he's entirely too ready to just dismiss this stuff. If well, you don't have like... scientific answers for something, you have to consider all angles. You have to allow for other hypotheses until they're disproven. And he doesn't do that. It just, it angers me a lot.
2: He limits his, uh, his conclusions to his own experiences. Like when he was admitting that he, yeah. you know, he earned his magic merit badge at the yep. Citadel. Uh, he's it's like <laughs> nothing, nothing happened to me, so therefore it isn't real. Yes, it's a um, terrible way to do science. But, uh, I, I I've tried to give Lewin credit on other episodes, and I don't know if it's is his dismissal. Like you've you've pretty much disproved that it's from. Or, or have you disproved that it's you know is his dismissal of magic really from like careful logic and practicality or is there like a more deliberate cover up and denial going on you know like is maybe. he intentionally trying to dissuade Bran from believing in magic I don't know
0: maybe yeah it's something I haven't considered but w- one little one little line in there that's almost throwaway, and then we can move on from this because I'm sure you guys are tired of me dwelling on it but he says, "We even gods die, we suspect. What the hell? <laughs> That's the first we've heard of this, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Gods dying? Is this... Do you guys... Are you with me?
1: I don't remember reading that line. What was uh, it in <laughs> relation to? It's,
0: it, it's when he's talking about all these things. He, he says, men ver- see very little of the world. We live a certain number of seasons and then die, and we don't get to experience everything, and certainly, uh, I don't know, I don't remember everything. It's on, it's at the very top of page 442, uh, very first paragraph of it. But, uh, yeah, he's just, he He says at the very end of that paragraph, even gods die, we suspect. And then he, like, stops <laughs> talking, and you're like, wait, what? Go back to that part! What? Hmm.
2: <laughs> I remember that, but I didn't think That's about it very much.
0: I mean, I guess, yeah, uh, it's, uh, Azor high, maybe, if they think he's a god, like, certainly he went somewhere, I guess. I don't know. It just struck guess... me.
2: Just the whole, and maybe it's just him falling back on the whole uh, Citadel's kind of rejection, almost of yeah anything not logic based
0: yeah. or science. But they, well, yeah, yeah,
2: interesting. Thought, one,
0: though. one more question that I I never thought of before: Do you know why they're called Green Dreams? Do you know where that comes from?
1: I'd assume because of the tree connection, but yeah, I don't I, know. I
2: connected it to kind of children of the forest, nature um, type stuff.
0: And because brown green dreams would sound like they're dreaming of poop or something? Brown dreams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm just curious. White
2: dreams could be construed as something else. <laughs> yes. Green dreams.
0: Oh, my gosh. Very good. I don't
1: <laughs> like that brown noise.
0: Yes, yeah, the brown noise. We <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> the South Park brown noise if you don't know it go google it okay Whoa. oh my god oh i cracked my
3: pants that's amazing i told you guys uh, i was one thinking
1: a references from a I think i think the brown noise has come up in many television shows but has uh, it? Oh. Well, i was thinking of a different one but
0: oh. mm. great <laughs> it's hilarious right in the references
1: in, in, in any context, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Such a such a valuable weapon. Why hasn't anyone felt like this?
0: Because <laughs> nobody wants the entire world to smell like shit. It's true.
2: Well, should we jump on to uh, Tyrion's final chapter? Plenty of meatiness there.
0: His final chapter for today's episode. Today's episode, yes. I will spoil. He does not die at the end of this ep- at the end of this chapter. Thank you for clarifying. You're God, welcome. Damn it.
3: <laughs> Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion Lannister, imp if you please.
0: Cersei has sent Lancel in the middle of the night to demand Tyrion release Pycelle. Tyrion lights a fire, gets some wine, and goes to work on Lancel. Lancel then also demands that Jaslyn Bywater be removed, warning Tyrion that he needs this is something that the queen's demanding him to do. But he receives a rebuff from Tyrion. I'll hear no warnings, boy. Lancel threatens his sword, to which Tyrion threatens his Shagga. One cry from me, and Shagga will burst in and kill you. With an axe, not a wineskin. And I LOL'd on that one. From here, it's a short leap to get Lancel to admit betting Cersei and assisting in Triple B's murder. And then blackmailing Lancel to be his own spy in Cersei's lap, bed, loins, what have you. Tyrion agrees to free Pycelle, but not to dismiss Bywater, rather asking uh, Lancel to plant the seed in Cersei's brain that in time uh, he could become a Queen's man. Tyrion rides into town with Bronn, reflecting on his good fortune. He's right at home in this world, and I don't think he's ever been happier save those moments with Tysha. Um, When they get to the brothel, Tyrion must wait for Aliaia to finish up off what have you. Tyrion is propped, uh, proposed to, by another whore, Dancy, that uh, intrigues him, don't they all? Uh, And he learns that he's a subject of a wager, uh, that Dancy has to get him to accept her uh, by a certain time or she'll lose some of her pearls. Uh, Interesting that he chose pearls. His loyalty wins out, though, and he will continue and will continue to do so. He continues on with Alayaya, uh, and eventually makes his way to Shay, remembering and trying to bury the thought of Taisha on the way. He finds Shay asleep in her manse, pleasures her with his mouth, then climbs up, slides in, and explodes inside her immediately. As he falls asleep on her, he reflects that this is what he was meant to do, that he loves doing it, and that he loves Shay. And that's the end of the chapter, oh Tyrion's Ooh, in love it's sweet, isn't it? Is it sweet something oh,
1: concerning concerning he, well, he admits it himself that's gotten him in trouble in the past,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, you know if, if he could if he could keep it in control by making it just a monetary transaction, maybe it's safer when love gets involved though it it gets more dangerous it's interesting at the end he he kind of equates his happiness to loving what he's doing and uh why he does it matt tip of the cap uh and also to his love for shay it's like a tandem thing like he wouldn't be feeling this way if he didn't have both and i agree with you Brooke. that's a little bit of a danger
2: right yeah that's one thing that i picked up too i don't know why i'm thinking of these deeper meanings for probably things that don't have deeper meanings associated with them. But uh I was think, you know, all that stuff that Tyrion says at the end of the chapter, he loves, you know, being in control, being in charge and all of that. And I think that even goes to uh what should we call it? His oraling of Shay
0: there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: he just climbs in. That's his I mean, traditionally when you, I mean, I've never done this, of course, but uh, when you go to a prostitute, it's usually you receiving the pleasuring, right? Um, it's usually not you doing it to the prostitute, I think, in, in, in a majority of cases. Uh, but here, and, and I think that's him trying to, you know, I want to see Matt's charge.
0: dissertation on this. Did you do a study?
2: Uh, you'd be surprised at, at what I've <laughs> developed. I'll present it to you one day. Uh, but it, I hope
0: you mean your dissertation. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a
2: few things I can present <laughs> to you, buddy. It's him wanting to be in control and in charge and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, when he, you know, when he finishes off that quickly, it kind of proves that he's he's kind of not in control, and she's got him. She's got him in a way that nothing else does, um, and it's it's concerning, like you said. Side reaching, note. Reaching, Matt? Reaching? Oh,
3: yeah.
0: I don't know. I think he certainly no, likes to be in control, but I, I think he's... I think he looks at their sexual relationship as a give and take and that it's more of a normal relationship, not a prostitute-client relationship. And that leads to more of the danger that Brooke's talking about.
2: Yeah, that's, that's concerning too. And, and the other side of it is we really don't know what Shay thinks. We do
0: not.
1: I yeah. wonder if he's just... If he takes pleasure from making another person happy or if it's her, if it's, if it's actually Shay that makes him happy. I don't know. I, I think we need to see more of them interacting. Yeah. A lot of it's just his, his first person adoration of her, right? right. We, we haven't seen a ton of her.
2: Just them being.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's All we always, see is the sex it's always yeah. the
2: cohabitating. Sexuality. It's always just shutties.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's always just got his head buried somewhere in her. <laughs>
0: <Guess> <laughs> the best he place does. to be. Uh, <laughs> uh okay. Uh side note, uh Dancy. If The Whispering Wood were seeking a co-star, she would be a candidate. Really? Uh she sounds she sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
2: <laughs> we'll have uh, your people get in touch with her people and
0: <laughs> see what we can do. A couple, a couple funny lines. Uh, no one can claim my sister doesn't love her family.
1: <laughs> oh, man! In
2: reference
0: to Cersei.
1: Oh, you had some real zingers.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, he just ripped Lancel to pieces. Oh my
0: gosh, it was masterful. Really? Like it was just, uh, you know, after dealing with Varys and Littlefinger, and even to some degree Pycelle. This just has to be like a boring exercise. Right? It's like it's like a cat, you know, battering a ball of string around. Like this, Lancel stands no chance. Yeah, uh, and poor Lancel, I think. Yeah, poor Lancel. It, it's the reason I my my word of the day candidate. Are you ready for it? Word of the day. Yeah. Okay. Lannisteronius. Okay. Because Lancel is not like any of the Lannisters we've met. He is totally controlled, totally at other people's whim and mercy, and not the one in control and seeking that control.
2: Right. Totally. Yeah, that's those are completely my thoughts on him, too. He's he's basically just a normal teenage kid. Uh, one who's been born into, obviously, yeah. very good circumstances and a very high upbringing and stuff like that but he's basically just a a, what i would expect the teenager to be like um but he's being played just like a bad (laughs) fiddle
0: yeah
1: so easily picture cersei instructing him sternly to come on her stuff yes and him like being so preoccupied with making sure that happens barely gets the end at all (laughs) (laughs) Just
2: getting tossed around.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. He's basically just like a big sex toy. Yeah. A big singing sex toy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh Tyrion though is uh showed his moxie. So he's he's essentially, if you want to look at it this way, he's exchanged one useless prisoner, Picel, for one valuable spy in in uh Lancel, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh you know score another one for Tyrion of slowly building up his his team, right? Right.
1: Yeah, this is why I'm surprised that he didn't do the same, that he didn't pull the same move on Pycel.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I think he could have. I have actually, this on you now, you'll report for me.
2: Mhm. Yeah, the letting Pycel go actually concerns me a little
0: bit. Uh, from what because perspective?
2: Just that now he's he's free, and obviously he doesn't view Pycel as much of a threat. But this guy, at least me, oh. I I wonder if maybe he could be.
0: You mean it concerns you from uh, being a fan of Tyrion and wanting him to to win or or whatever? But uh, yeah. it concerns, it concerns that me him that
2: Pycel yeah. is out there and able to perhaps scheme and and yeah. find some way to stab Tyrion in the back. Yep. That he couldn't do from a cell.
0: Yep. But like Samson, that's right, Matt. Quote of the Bible. Like Samson, his hair has been cut, so his powers are diminished. That's how it works, right?
3: Scott,
0: <laughs> look at you, buddy. Dude, I was a Sunday school superstar <laughs> in my day.
2: Yeah, nice, nice uh, parallel there. there you,
1: go. you know where you're going to be tomorrow morning, Scad.
2: <laughs> you want me to pick you up on my way?
0: <laughs> I'll <laughs> pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh bronze also got a funny one. he always does. I hear he was taller <laughs> <laughs> referring to uh was it Ned
2: he's referring to Ned, and, and Tyrion's response is is pretty good too.
0: Oh, gosh, now I don't remember the exact
2: wording. He's like I thought he was taller, and he's like he was until, oh before the day or something yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, uh, so uh. I don't. Know, I don't have a whole lot more uh, on on this this chapter. Um, just that Tyrion seems so suited to this life. You just kind of want him to be able to do it forever, and and to be able to do her forever.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like we're not doing him justice, like discussing this to its full extent. We're all just like standing back, arm cross, admiring Tyrion. <laughs> that was cool. We kind of well, are.
0: He, well, I don't know. I a little. I mean, he he's. Okay, so I'll try to, to pay him the deference he's due. In, I don't know, six chapters or something, he has taken a city that was somewhat in his sister's control, but not not being run well, not being run expertly. He has, uh, it was not well fortified or defended. Um, the people were not fed, and he had very few friends. And in those six chapters, he's played enough political angles to start getting the people fed to get the city protected uh with uh with this wildfire and and other things that I may not spoil right now um he has pretty much cowed his sister through dosing and uh political embarrassment and letting her think she has a few minor victories here and there to kind of keep her subdued um and he's put enemies to the state, not just of his own but enemies people doing crimes at the wall and and in in prison. And he he has done all of this uh, and done it expertly. How's that, Brooke, for giving him the credit he's due?
2: Very good.
1: Yeah, no, great. Great summary of, yeah. I meant
2: to bring this up.
1: How uh, far he's risen.
3: Yeah.
2: I meant to bring this up in the first Tyrion chapter, but along with that, one thing that I love that he did last chapter and that I think we're seeing the consequences of this chapter is he's completely established himself As really the only uh, person that wields any type of military force in King's Landing. Yeah. And he did that by sending Cersei's Lannister guardsmen away. You know, she always had at least some muscle to back her up on anything. She doesn't anymore. In fact, one could say that she was forced pretty much to send little Lancel instead of anybody else. To talk to Tyrion because she didn't have anybody.
3: Oh else. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> she has <laughs> she has the Kingsguard. That's about all she's got now. Yeah,
2: ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she does have them, I suppose. But Tyrion's got the City Watch. Mm-hmm. He's got all his mountain clansmen and brawn and all of that. And no one else has anybody else that we know of, anyways. Well done, Tyrion. Yeah, like like J- uh, Jacelyn Bywater completely defied Cersei. Was it in this chapter or the last one? That they find out that...
0: It was this one. I kind of skirted a little bit in the summary. Right. Um, It's basically, she demanded that Bywater release Pycelle, and he's like, uh, "Uh, no. Nope, ain't gonna do it. And that's why she's demanding that he be uh, taken from his post.
2: Right. (laughs) Jacelyn's not even afraid to defy the Queen Regent, because he's so on Tyrion's side. Yep. That's well done, Tyrion. Well done, buddy.
0: Yeah, it should be noted too that he's doing this all kind of, not all, a lot of it illegally. I mean, technically, Cersei is regent. Cersei does rule. Now, Tywin sent him to rule. It says that at one of the very last chapters of Game of Thrones, Tywin wants Tyrion to be ruling. But technically, Cersei's calling the shots. But she isn't. Tyrion's doing all this stuff, right? Kind of through subterfuge and doing it without asking and. it's masterful. And it's, it's, I think, I think this is where lovers of Tyrion's character really fall in love with him, is the, the this first half of the Clash of Kings. And it's, it's extremely done.
2: If, if uh, Game of Thrones was Eddard's book, uh, A Clash of Kings is shaping up to be Tyrion's book.
0: Yeah, so far, for sure.
2: All right. Anything but else on Tyrion?
0: Poxy Tim might get his day. I'm thinking it might still be Poxy
2: Tim's book. There's certainly big things in store for Poxy. He's got a bright future ahead of him. (laughs) All right. Uh, Anything else for real now on on Tyrion? Nothing?
1: Nope.
2: All right. Let's finish up for the day in terms of uh, this portion of the podcast. So, for all of those, all of you who are not wanting to be spoiled, sign off now. We're going to jump into some Davos after dark. Okay, so next time should be Arya 7, Catelyn 3, Sansa 3, Catelyn 4, and John 4. Two that Cat is chapters. Two Cat chapters, yes. Uh chapters 30 to 34 uh, of A Clash of Kings. So join us then. Oh, one quick thing I wanted to just bring up real quick: a shout-out to one of our listeners, uh, Pap Down on Twitter, Jesse Parker. He just tweeted a picture at us about half an hour ago. I noticed it come up on my iPad of his groom's table at his wedding and it's full of a song of ice and fire paraphernalia books and maps and looks like lineages and charts of lineages and stuff like that and even a what looks like a a groom's cake that's a dire wolf so super cool um and just
0: so bro did the raven lose my message or my my invitation or what
2: I know right why aren't we there but uh anyways quick shout out to uh pap down congratulations on what appears to be a a fantastic wedding so congratulations, yeah,
0: congratulations. on the big day buddy all Which right fast by the time you listen to this episode yeah it'll
2: be two weeks into your happy marriage by the time uh, you hear this so hope it's still going well
0: yeah. <laughs> i hope he listens to this on his honeymoon that causes a big fight
1: <laughs> you tweeted a picture of that
0: yeah you're listening to a podcast on our honeymoon. you <laughs> gets important. me in the mood, baby. Yeah,
2: he's got it playing as they as he <laughs> takes her over the threshold. And <laughs> he's playing the aria song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stick it with the pony in.
2: <laughs> All uh, right. Well, congrats. I was uh, supposed to be
0: heartfelt and turned dirty. Sorry, that. Pop- yeah sorry buddy
2: congrats to you and your uh your bride as well don't be mad at him bride he's a good guy all right let's jump into davos after dark davos after dark this was a this was a fun chapter um or a fun set of chapters i want to talk about can we talk about Tyrion for a little bit just a, a few things that i wanted to talk about with him yeah um you know this. He seems to be at his peak right now, and then, you know, a couple books we're going to see him fall to what seems like he can't get any lower. W- what do you take of this? Of Tyrion, can he climb back out of where he's fallen? Um, what do you What do you take of his arc so far?
0: So he he's to restate it a little. He is running the Seven Kingdoms now, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And. You said a couple books. I don't know exactly when it happens. My brain gets screwed on the timelines, but I do. But he he ends up, you know, Tywin comes back, takes the handship back. I suppose that's back. just next book. Yeah. yeah. well, it starts next book. Um Tywin comes back, takes the handship back, he loses half of his face in battle. Um he gets accused of murdering his nephew. <laughs> he he gets uh he escapes he escapes king's landing he goes floats down a river with some strangers uh he gets taken as a slave uh, it's i mean it is a meteoric fall for this character that is right now by his own statement at the very top of life mm-hmm. right and yeah it's either going to be a huge redemption story at the end right or you know, some sort of cautionary tale like Brooks saying about, you know, hey, check the ego, right? Right. And I don't know. I I think he's gonna rise again.
2: I think uh, he's got it, right?
0: I, I mean I don't think he's gonna sit the Iron Throne or anything, but I think he's gonna do something significant. Well, mm-hmm.
1: Jora is taking him to see Danny, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> if Danny is gonna do something incredible and Tyrion is going to be in her vicinity. Yep, he's probably going to get some, some part of that. Yeah, he's going to take the power back.
0: Uh, That's right. Twice in a row, man. Yeah,
2: so, I love that song.
0: Where we where <laughs> we leave him in Winds of Winter? So militant is actually. There might have been a chapter. There might have been a chapter Winds of Winter, not Dance of Dragons. I can't remember now, but he's basically trying to convince. The slave owner that he's with to change sides to be on Danny's side, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or did that actually happen already in Dance of Dragons? I can't remember.
2: It blurs to me.
0: But ba- but I think Brooke's right. Like I think eventually what's going to happen is he's going to end up in Danny's camp, and
2: that's where it's setting up, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean we've talked about the Tyrion as a secret target theory before, right? Um, you know that that uh, Ares actually raped Joanna Lannister, or maybe that they were even in love, um, and that Tyrion is actually Ares' son, and so he, he, he actually is a Targaryen. It's a theory. Out I don't there.
1: think we talked about that before because that's fantastic.
0: <laughs> We've talked about uh-huh.
2: it. There's some shreds of evidence that could point to that. One is Tyrion's hair being decidedly more whitish blonde, yeah, than than the other Lannister kids' kind of more golden blonde hair. He leans more towards white hair, like a Targaryen.
0: Which in the show, both the Lannister brothers now are just dark haired. So it
2: yeah, Tyrion's hard. got kind of like brown hair in the. the I mean, Jamie Dinko too. Chair. Jamie's not even yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's true. Show. Anyway. And uh, and Tyrion's also his mismatched eyes. You know, could point to that.
0: Yeah. So that yeah, there's a little bit of uh, physiological evidence there.
2: And what also do, remember you, that Tyrion knows a ton about dragons, uh, which could knowledge that could come in handy for Danny, for Danny, for who yeah. is really kind of learning about dragons on the fly.
0: So maybe it's a combination. Maybe it's uh, ego checked the door now that he's had to slum it around with uh, with Penny uh, for a while and the and the pig and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, ego checked a little bit, but still. Fully capable, and he can rise back to prominence, being, you know, the queen's hand, maybe, or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I mean, how cool would that be? How poetic would that be? That we see him at the the zest of life in this chapter, being the hand, and what he ends up doing in the end is being the hand for Danny. That would be pretty badass. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cool.
2: Um. And you know, we uh, Cersei has those dreams of, or she had that prophecy, Maggie the frog stuff about um, Tyrion being the Valonqar, who she feels is going to kill her one day. Yeah. And I wonder how that's all going to play out. Uh, I mean, here in this chapter, at least, or in this set of chapters, we see that that's really not his intent at all. Like he could have put some kind of poison that would have killed her, probably in her drink and he could have just gotten rid of Cersei but uh, instead he just gave her the, the runs <laughs> just gave her diarrhea
0: thanks for bringing it back to the brown sound again yeah <laughs> uh... well <laughs> at this point in time
1: he's very still very much aware of how her death would affect Jaime mm-hmm. yeah. so I think that's probably what's staying his hand because otherwise you're completely right getting rid of her would solve a lot of his problems
0: I think he's also still a family guy uh, he also knows he would have to answer to Taiwan in the end um, if we were to do something like that. And there's a multiple reasons not to do it. A couple reasons just, to do it also. But
1: listen there's... to us, we're like, why didn't he just kill her?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been so reading these books for too long. Yeah, it's true.
2: Speaking of killing, let's talk about Arya's prayers. Let's maybe do a little stats count on uh, how that's going for her.
0: I hope you don't expect me to have the answer.
2: I have a wiki of ice and fire which will give me the answer.
0: Cuz it occurs to me that a lot of these people are dead or presumed dead. Yes. And she didn't kill them just too bad
1: or maybe that's fortunate. I don't know.
2: So, yeah, let's I see know.
1: here.
0: I... Sorry, go ahead.
2: Do you want to want to want to go down the list?
0: Yeah, real quick.
2: So, Sir Gregor presumed Dead.
0: presume dead. Not really.
2: Robert Strong, right? Yeah. Uh, Dunson, as far as we know, is still alive. <laughs> I Paul of. Yeah. <laughs> like does oh, he? Oh, he's the guy that took her sword, anymore?
0: I think, or something.
2: Uh, he's the guy that took Gendry's helmet.
0: Oh yeah. So he makes the
2: list for that. Poliver, he's the guy that took Needle, um, and he was killed at the crossroads. So you won't be lonely by the hound. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, some of these guys did little tiny things to make this list compared to others. Oh, and that's where it gets so.
2: I'm sure this will come up in our episode of Jacques and Hagar yeah. knocking off guys yes. for why did you choose Chiswick? Yeah, you know? Chiswick. jeez. Oh, uh, he's dead. He was on the list. Raph the Sweetling is dead. Arya killed him. Uh, Arya killed the tickler. The hound is, again, presumed dead. Presumed
0: but dead but on the does anyone
2: out. really believe he's dead? Come he's on. He's not dead. He's not dead. Uh, Amory Lorch is dead. Illyn Payne's still alive. Maren Trant still alive. Joffrey's dead. Cersei's alive. And uh, Weiss is dead.
0: Weiss is dead. Didn't she kill. Oh, well, I don't know. This is spoiling beyond even the books that are released. Are we allowed to do that? Yeah. There's a Winds of Winter chapter with her as Mercy. She kills one of these guys, right?
2: Yeah, it's Raph.
0: Oh, it's Raph, okay.
2: In fact, she does it because uh, he's the guy that killed Lami. Yeah, right. And and she stabs, so when she gets Raph, she stabs him in the leg. And actually gets him to... She says, can you walk? Oh. And he says, you'll have to carry me or something along
0: those lines.
2: <laughs> and then she she kills him. So.
0: Oh, George. Oh, Arya. Just tying up that that end. Good job. Well, well written. Goodness.
2: So she's doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. A lot of these guys are indeed dead. So... Uh. I don't know if we'll ever find Dunson. But... <laughs>
3: Yeah,
1: some of these are going to be tough to track down, like yeah. like Payne and, and even Cersei. Yeah. So.
0: yeah. I am
2: predicting a, an Arya Cersei showdown. You think? I think so. Is... I don't know if it'll be the end of one of them, but uh...
0: <laughs> Cersei will be like, uh, who are you again? Yeah, That's like one of the furthest encounters from my mind. Oh, not me, baby. <laughs>
2: um uh and then from here on out there's a couple little things i want to talk about but i want to get some of your input what are some of the burning questions that you had on your mind for davos Dark, guys
0: um i don't know if people care i the question in my mind was about this secret mission
2: oh the uh the, the mummer the, the mum thief.
0: the mummer the thief the poisoner yeah mm-hmm. does anything come of that
2: uh yeah yeah remember um I can't remember if it's in this book or the next book but when Catelyn gets back to River Run, Edmure tells her about it that while he was gone whoring and wenching as they say as yeah. he admits to doing yeah um That well, well, first of all, Catelyn goes back to Riverrun and she sees four guys hanging outside the walls. And she's like, Who are those guys? Oh, they're they're guys that tried to bust out Jamie Lannister. Okay. And one of them, I'm guessing the murderer, like smashed guys' heads, and while another guy was picking the lock, and another guy, who I'm guessing is the mummer, was uh, imitating Edmure's voice, telling the guards to let Jamie out and stuff Uh. like that, or distracting him. Huh. uh, yeah, and Jamie gets out and kills a bunch of people.
0: And then they kills kill him a couple him
2: Yeah, and yeah. then they recapture him, and that's when they put him in, like, hardcore chains and solitary confinement
0: and all that stuff. Much like Pride and Prejudice, my brain has apparently completely blocked this out.
2: <laughs> I don't blame anybody. <laughs> I had to go back and, and remind myself of the particulars. I'm not just pulling all of that out of my immediate memory. <laughs>
0: Somebody asked uh, if Jora and Danny would have worked ever, I, like romantically. That
2: was me.
1: That was not me. Why I, do you think? That's why ask?
0: Well, I mean, I, I was thinking in the in the chapter, Jora. Uh, so Jora's always like he's always kind of whining about their current predicament, like, Khaleesi, I think we should get out of here, Khaleesi don't trust that man, Khaleesi. Like, Khaleesi, like, Khaleesi, Khaleesi, God. Like, up. Always with the don't trust that, we shouldn't be here, come with me. I think he just kind of wants it to be the, the Jorah and Danny against the world show. And mm. I, I don't know, I, I think actually he would, he, not that she necessarily needs taken care of, but in a different world where she wasn't destined to have these dragons and walk that path, I think they could get along really well.
1: Yeah? I don't know. I think they would have done pretty well. He's obviously the kind of guy who needs a woman, not a girl. And I would argue that Danny is a woman. Uh, mm -hmm. And that she is self-possessed and independent and and holds her own. But um, uh, his loyalty to her would have probably saved her life in instances where other men have saved her life. Um, uh, I think he would have been a good support system for her, but she definitely would have been missing that passion she had a taste of with Drogo, and so he'd never really be able to live up to that, and ultimately it would be their downfall.
2: Mm. That's a good point. I like that.
1: Yeah. You can't really beat that sort of... <laughs> Once, once you go <laughs> rural Dothraki, you don't really go back. You
0: don't go back. <laughs> Indeed. Did you guys want to go into the Jojen stuff at all, Matt?
2: That's what I was going to bring up next is let's talk about some of the stuff that went on on Bran's chapter before we close for the night. Um, oh gosh, I'm willing to go into any of it. Bran and Jamie ever confronting each other again. Uh, how is Bran working right now? Uh, the whole thing about... Uh, I'm just trying to. I'm looking at what, which one about Bran would be best? You guys want to talk? Bran and Jamie ever confronting each other again, or Jojen's dream about the meat at the feast? Oh, I want to talk about the dream, but I don't have much to offer. <laughs>
0: Do you guys have much to offer?
2: I, I To me, it has something to do with um, you know, brands being offered this great life, um, as, as a green seer or something along those lines uh, the, that he doesn't appreciate, while the phrase are going to live a more kind of mediocre life that they do appreciate. But what I what what throws the wrench in all of that is it's Maester Lewin serving them the meat. Mm. That's what I can't quite Because fit Maester into Lewin
0: wouldn't thing. be serving him a life of green seeing.
2: Right. He's the one that's campaigning against him doing it, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: on the Wiki Vice and Fire, um they actually do attribute that dream to learning of Rob Stark's victory over Stafford Lannister in the Battle of Oxcross.
2: Oh.
1: Um, so Bran is happy for the victory, but he knows that only Lord Tywin Lannister man- matters. And in contrast, neither Walder's seem bothered by their uncle Stevron's death. They're more concerned about the Frey line of succession shortening. So, of course. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's all any Frey is worried about.
0: Yeah. I see. Interesting.
2: Which, so it's a so it's a good from...
0: piece of news for Bran that he doesn't enjoy, which is the battle was won, but it's not the battle they needed. And it's a bad piece of news for the phrase, but they think it's good news because they're closer to the to being the yeah Lord of the Crossing.
1: I don't know what Lewin serving the meat has to do with
0: that, but uh, uh, maybe, maybe if he gives him the message. Probably yeah, he um... got it from the Raven.
2: So it's a it's a much more practical.
0: Interpretation than what I, where my mind was going. But this is where, this is where you can side with Lewin. It's like, well, that's not a fucking green dream. You can take Mm -hmm. that, you can take that weird metaphor and set it up with a million different things. (laughs) It's like the, you know, like, if we have any of these people listening to the podcast, I apologize if I offend you. But fortune tellers, right? It's like they hone in on, like, there Certain goes our thing. <laughs> I know there goes our demographic. They hone in on they hone in on details that are vague enough that they could apply to anybody, right, and they kind of work that angle and they see what you respond to, and they paint the picture a little clearer based on your responses and you can attribute a vague dream like this about serving meat to lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. so on that side, I would be on le- on Lewin's side, even though I lambasted him in the last section.
2: <laughs> well, the hour is growing late, uh, is. but I am willing to converse about anything else you guys want to bring up if there's something on your minds. I think we pretty much covered. I, I had Lancel down in there to maybe talk about during Davos after dark, but I think we pretty much covered him.
1: Well, but, I'll just say quickly that it's no surprise that he goes all religious after this.
2: I agree with you, but uh, I want to hear more of your thoughts of why oh,
0: it's no just
1: surprise, like being Cersei's plaything.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Drive any man to that extreme.
0: <laughs> to the opposite extreme.
1: Yeah.
2: Sure. Sure. Again, I feel a little bad for him. It's he just got played really hard and Yeah. He he doesn't he he does escort her on the walk of shame, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, That's kind of funny. So
1: yeah, the balance of power does get reversed at some point, but
0: yeah, yeah. You know, I don't remember what his thoughts are on that. Time obviously we don't have a POV from him, but I don't remember how he feels about that.
2: Fun to see what's going to happen there. Yeah, maybe that's the big, uh the big uh, showdown that we should be looking forward to is Lancel versus Cersei, <laughs> the spurned lover.
1: There's so many people who I I would be happy if they killed Cersei, like. <laughs> You deserve to kill Cersei. You deserve to kill Cersei.
0: What are you, Oprah?
1: Yes. That was my Oprah
0: impression. <laughs> oh jeez.
2: On that on that note, let's go to bed.
1: Thanks again everybody for joining us and for all of your support. This is Brooke signing off saying, "You deserve to kill Cersei."
2: <laughs> this is Matt echoing Brooke's sentiments of thank you guys for everything. Um Quoting my a new favorite song right now By Andrew McMahon uh, Through all the things my eyes have seen The best by far is you
0: And for me, just some advice For Tyrion From Meatloaf Lyrics Yes, Meatloaf you Lyrics You have to do Meatloaf I want you, I need you But there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you But don't be sad, cause two out of three ain't bad I want you, I want you.
2: Peace and blessings. Peace Aye. and blessings.
3: For all the things my eyes have seen, the best by far is you. If I could fly, then I would know. What life looks like from up above and down below. I keep you safe. I keep you dry. Don't be afraid, Cecilia. I'm the satellite. And you're the sky. Are you
1: space? I
0: hate that song. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the most metal one we have. I hate oh. it.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. You guys good? Everyone's sitting now? Yeah. I'm gonna shut up now. Thanks. I'm
2: putting myself on mute. <laughs> Me too.
1: <laughs> Perfect. It's I'm most... gonna see Mad Max tomorrow. Very much looking forward to it. Ooh, Ooh. I
0: heard it's excellent. I heard it's really good. It's like the definition of explosion porn. Yeah. Good explosion porn. I don't like explosion porn. No. no. I, Does no. most
2: porn end with an explosion? I, mean, <laughs> no. I guess not at all.
0: I don't know. The good not one. The I good ones. That's where it really experience. the story really begins. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Let's podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I all did right. it
1: for the plot. I read it for the articles.
2: Character-driven pornography.